Welcome, everybody, to Acefield Retro. We're here recapping Dynamite, January 5th, the debut on TBS, and what a show it was. So where do we even start here? It was the first time a wrestling show was on TBS since WCW closed in 2001, uh, but we are a long way away from the travesty that was WCW Thunder. And what we saw was a thing of beauty. From top to bottom, the show was... As advertised, it was a pay-per-view on TV. I mean, listen, we got some magic moments for free on network television. And as a wrestling fan, can't complain. It was just absolutely epic. And what better way to ring in the debut on TBS than with an amazing, amazing world title match. And that's what opened the show. Shockingly, they opened the show with Hangman Page and Brian Danielson for the AEW Championship. And they introduced the judges. They talked about, you know, whether Jerry Lynn and Mark Henry and the big show, what would be the parameters of them deciding who'd be the winner if it did indeed go to a 60-minute draw. It certainly seemed like they would be going to the limit again, but they swerved us. We didn't get that. We got a finish, and that's all we've been asking for. Brian Danielson took his first loss, and there was a lot that happened to get us there. Let's be honest. So to talk about that match, I'm going to bring in Nick the Comic Nerd. He's on the car phone, so just the audio audio will be heard. We're going to get his feedback on the match because he's not going to be able to talk very long. But I want to get an outside perspective about what he thought about the match, and I definitely will give my opinion before I talk about the rest of the show. So I'm going to have Nick come in here right now. Hey, what's up, man? How's it going? Sorry I'm in the car and have to do this only through audio. No worries, man. It happens. I just want to get your idea. I mean, this was an absolutely epic show. I know you're able to catch the a lot of the first match. Um, I, I just want to catch your opinion on it before I give mine. I want you to give the people what you thought about the match because, honestly, I was very impressed. And I want to know where you stood on it. Dude, first of all, I thought the whole show – was practically perfect. I thought everything was done super, super well. Um, the first match, I missed the first like minute, and then I missed the fur. The I'm sorry, I missed the last like two minutes after that. But from what I saw, I was so excited to come on here and tell you that I think I have my first five star match. But in tonight's episode, I think I also had my second uh, five star match. Yeah, I think I can tell which one it would be because, the, you know, I have a few matches on here that really impressed me, but not moving away from that first match. I certainly thought it was better than their first meeting. Uh, 29 minutes seems like it was the sweet spot. It was near perfect, in my opinion, as a wrestling match. We had everything you wanted. Near falls, explosive offense, blood, uh, back and forth, action. You just couldn't ask for anything better. And to me, I believe the fact that it went 29 minutes made me feel like very satisfied and not over, I guess, 60 minutes was a little bit much to handle, in my opinion, and maybe that was just me, but I walked away feeling much more satisfied than I did with the first meeting. How about you? I 100% agree, and I 100% agree because that first 60-minute match, nothing really happened until, like, the 40-minute mark, realistically, if you're asking me, where this match from the get-go, like, almost after, like, the first two tries on pinfalls, you know, you thought like, oh, this is it. Oh, this is it. Oh, this is it. And because they included the judges, my heart told me when we heard this, you know, one or two weeks ago that this was going to be another 60-minute match. 
So my whole thought process was, oh, is it going to be who can like, you know, throw their biggest move out there, the earliest or the most, most frequent, something like that. So I think, like you said, 29 minutes was an absolute sweet spot, dude. I mean, they, they nailed this thing. I was expecting, like I said, the 60 minutes. I feel like the crowd was expecting 60. And then within the first 10, 15 minutes, part of me was like, this isn't going to go 60 minutes. I don't know who's going to win, but this isn't going to go 60. And I thought it was just, I, I thought it was next to perfect, dude. Like I, when I watched the end of it, in a few hours, you know, I bet you I come back and tell you, yeah, that was five stars. Yeah, it's certainly hard to argue with that. I mean, they pulled the swerve with the judges, and I do appreciate that because I thought it was written on the wall that they would have uh, the finish be go to a draw, and they'd have a split decision, and that's how they would put the title on Brian or keep it on Hangman and have a dispute to, to come up with a third match. In my opinion, despite there being a clean finish, I think we can still make the argument for having a third match between the two, which was awesome. Um the impact that this win has on Hangman takes him to the next level. And the more I, I sit on this and sit on the decision to put the put the win on him and keep the title on him, it doesn't hurt Brian Danielson. It means everything to Hangman. Um, they avoided to make a key mistake by making an outsider coming in unknowingly. Maybe it was you know not that they thought about this, but having Brian Danielson come in as an outsider, sort of use your homegrown roster in a way that um, – we look at Brian Danielson as his own entity in AEW, but there is sort of everyone else that looks at WWE as sort of the big fish and Brian Danielson coming from there and would just run through the talent and walk away with the title may leave a little bit of a stain on hangman. So the right decision was made in my opinion, by putting him over strong. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. And I think what you said about it didn't hurt Danielson is so true because he's going to go, and just start kicking ass again like he was doing leading up to Hangman. And for Hangman, like you said, he went to the next level, and I'm super excited to see who his next opponent is going to be because, you know, I don't think you're going to see him reface the same opponents over and over again now. Not that Danielson was a lot of times, you know. Only two matches is good, but, you know, I don't think you're going to see everybody get two shots at him. So they might throw a, through a few, like, fillers in there, but, you know, somebody big is going to come along and make it really exciting. And to see where uh, Hangman is at right now, you know, I think he's doing really well for himself, and I think this is going to boost his confidence, and I think he's going to be a great, great champion coming forward. He hung in there with the, the best in the world. He held his own, and it wasn't like he was being carried to the match. He pulled out all those spots. I mean, talking about some of the crazy stuff that happened, we saw the blood and all of that, but some of the, the, the actual technical wrestling was very sound on both ends. Um, there was a part of the match where Danielson was going for the bell lock, um, and the champion was powering out. He catapulted Danielson over the ropes before landing the Orihara moonsault. So he went for that moonsault twice. I mean, even the fallaway slam uh, mixed with the Spanish fly that he hit, uh, that was crazy. I thought there was a lot of influences from Shibata. You know, Shibata obviously made his return, if those that don't know, at Wrestle Kingdom after a life-threatening head injury that he sustained in a match with um, on, on a Japan card where he had to have brain surgery to reduce the swelling and Danielson and Hangman went out there and paid homage to him by throwing those headbutts and they look severe it looks like it was very stiff um, but the offense looked legitimate and I'd be proud to show this match as you know for any fan that wants to watch wrestling I'd be proud as a fan a diehard to show that match to anyone and tell tell me that they can't just get their blood flowing a little bit by watching that action Absolutely, 100%. This is one of those matches where for people who are still locked into WWE, and you, you you know I was there a year ago, bro. You pulled me into this. You know, you and the guys 
in the baseball group. And, you know, I've joked around saying like, I owe you guys my life and it's freaking true. You know, like if people aren't into AEW and they're like, Oh, it's either too much wrestling or they're just locked into AEW. Like you watch this match. Tell me you're not coming back next week to watch more AEW, you know? It felt like it meant something. And I think that's what, you know, the AEW championship means. Like I know that they went sort of sideways with, you know, the draw and people were upset that they got the non-finish and they thought it was the cheap way out. I had confidence that they would go here and actually come with a finish and a decisive finish and not sort of have it both ways. They're not looking to 50-50 book this where both guys look strong and they're not looking to not make a decision. There's going to be fallout here with Brian Danielson and there will have to be some rehabbing to his character. Not that much because I don't think it hurts him that much. But you're going to have to do some rehabbing to get him back to the level he was when he was undefeated. But that sort of comes with being a booker and having to make those decisions. And I like that it was a decisive decision. There was no foul play. It wasn't like anyone's feet were on the ropes. Uh, to go through the ending, uh, the challenge, uh, Brian Danielson grabbed Paige's wrist and stomped his head in. He went for the knee again, but Paige reversed into a pop-up powerbomb. Brian Danielson countered the follow-up into a triangle choke, but Paige's power forced him to adjust into a knee bar. Hangman got back in control and landed rapid punches before hitting a release backdrop suplex. Paige got up and hit the buckshot lariat for a decisive three. Brian sold that like his life depended on flipping inside out. The, the buckshot looked like the strongest finisher I've ever seen. So that played a huge part in making the ending so effective. So to me, you said five-star match. I thought it was easily their best match out of the two. Um, it certainly rivals the match that Brian had with Kenny, is my, in my opinion. It was that good. And I think there's going to be a lot of work to be done to top that match in any capacity. And I know that the roster is motivated to do so. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I don't think it's going to be a lot of rehabbing for Brian, uh, you know, for Danielson. I think that, you know, they'll throw him a few good matches and then he'll start going for some heavy hitters and we'll see where it'll go. You know, I liked the, I'm going to kick your head and thing. And I think he'll go back to that a little bit. Um, and it's crazy. Like when I was watching your, your pod with the guy from the wrestling couch, uh, it wasn't the Prince. Um, you know, you put that Kenny and uh, Brian Danielson was your match of the year. And it's crazy to think that this was match number one of the year for AEW. <laughs> and this could right. be match of the year. Like it's wild, but you know that they're going to try and top themselves at some point this year. And it can only possibly get better at some point. And that's wild to think about. Like at the end of the year, dude, we might be talking about God knows who fighting hangman and then whoever else fighting Danielson and how, you know, picking a match of the year might not be that easy. It's crazy. You know, day one, dude, and it, and it happened. And I just think that's amazing. And I think it just shows what this company can do and how they want to please everybody. Yeah, I certainly think the bar is at truly the highest it's ever been on an opening show. Uh, obviously, WWE had the first swing at it on day one, the pay-per-view, not day one. of the, I actually was day one of the year, too. Uh, and they certainly didn't deliver any match of the years. There was some solid wrestling on that show. You can go back and watch Nick and I, our recap of day one, and we talk about the matches that happened there, but there was nothing on the car that even rivaled what we saw here. And that's just not taking a shot at WWE. They're just not at that level as far as technical wrestling goes. And you won't see this type of wrestling on that show. You just won't. No, absolutely not. You're not going to see that type of wrestling on this show, on that show this year. Like that's just, you know, my brutal opinion. Yeah, it certainly was one of those matches that will age even more favorably, like a lot of matches you watch live, you feel, you know, with recency, recent bias, recency bias, you feel like it's the best match ever. 
I'm certain that any, every time I watch this match, it's going to get, get better and better. Uh, just because there was little Easter eggs built into the match to sort of build the story as it goes. It, it wasn't just a spot fest. They weren't just hitting their moves. They were working on Hangman's shoulder. Uh, so because he can't hit the buck shot Larry if it's if, if he can't lift his arm. And all the work to get Brian Danielson to win all these matches throughout the year or last year, I should say, with different submission moves made every submission that he locked in feel like it could have been the end of the match. And that long-term storytelling felt meaningful. Like if you, you know, he, he locked in the triangle, it could have ended. He locked in the LaBelle lock. Obviously that's the yes lock from WWE. It felt like it could have ended any submission that Brian locks in could have legitimately legitimately ended the match. And I felt like that felt really authentic. Oh, a hundred percent. And that's what I mean by like, by like, by, I like the you know 15th minute of the match. Like that's when I said I was like, "There's no way these guys survive 60 minutes each," and you know that just that just proves it. Yeah, you know, you made a point before that it went about 30 minutes in. You felt like they weren't going 60. I felt the exact same way, and it made the match more exciting because comparing it to and how could you not the first match felt about halfway through they were feeling each other out it looked like they both had so much gas left in the tank and it wasn't going to be ending soon i looked at that match as like all right go in the distance it took my head out of the ending this one when they're both laying in the middle of the ring around like 21 minutes left 21 minutes into the match and they're both bloody and gasping for air and danielson can't skin the cat and hangman can't stay on his feet you knew it was ending soon so it had that sudden death feel um, and you couldn't replace that. I mean, New Jersey, and I know that you know New Jersey gets a bad rap for being a live, not a lively crowd. They're not, they're not New York, they're not Philly, they're not Chicago. They were into this match, um, and they certainly provided a great environment for the crowd to feed, uh, for the two wrestlers to feed off of the crowd. Yeah, absolutely. I thought the crowd was great. Um, I think, it, I think the cat crowd was also great during a few other matches. Um, you know, not that we'll dive into that yet, but. You know, I thought it was uh, I'm not a New Jersey guy, but, you know, for the I think it was a great pop for the start of the year. Yeah. What do you think? I know you have to go in a couple of minutes, but what do you think about them opening the show with the main well, with the world title again? I was surprised. I know it's happened at this point three times. I know the, the Kenny and Brown match wasn't for the world, but it was the main event at Arthur Ashe. How did you feel about them opening with this match? Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't sure if they would open with it again, and when they did, again, I know we keep going back to this, but it's just the way that not only you and I felt, most of the AEW universe felt was when I saw them open it. I was like, "Oh, you've got to open, knowing you're going to go sixty minutes." And all of a sudden, like I said, that that change is just so awesome to talk about. Um, you know that the oh, I th- and I th- I feel like that was part of their plan. Is like, hey, let's go let these people think that for an hour they're going to watch these two guys go at it again and then you know obviously throw the little twist in there and end it early so really really well done i was sitting there in the beginning like middle of the day i've, I've been chopping at the bit to watch this show all day i've been just refreshing twitter and instagram and posting mm-hmm. stuff on my instagram which is acefield retro by the way follow me um and the card was stacked so unlike the first time they met on dynamite you sort of knew that that match had potential to go an hour because there wasn't that much on the card. This had 
you know, three title matches. It had, you know, Wardlow was in action. MJF was in action. You knew Punk was going to cut a promo. Jericho was coming back. They had to fit a lot into the show. So yeah. it's like, how are they going to go a four or even 45 minutes and fit the rest in the show? And the timing was just right. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts about the show? I know you won't be able to stay with me for the rest of it. Um, any any closing thoughts that you want to give the, give the people about what you thought about Dynamite, aside from it just being generally good? Um, real quick, I'll just hit my pointers. The... The MJF CM Punk promo is was mind blowing. Like I, I was just you know I think <laughs> yeah. it's because I was at work watching, but when he's like, "All right, next week CM Punk and and he paused and he said Warlaw," I was like, oh, "That's so <laughs> good!" Like that blew my mind, and I thought it was really cool that CM Punk forced MJF to start the year zero and one. Um, like I had said in the group chat, and I think Devin had the best re- reaction was the whole Jade Cargill thing, just not. Not my girl. You know, I'm hoping to see her do big things as a champion. I'm not. I have no expectations of her to do it, though. Um, and my other five-star match was the tag team at the end, the Lucha Brothers versus uh, Jurassic Express. Yeah, and we were talking about it, and I don't want to jump ahead too much, but that injury to Ray Phoenix seems devastating. It seems like he'll be out for some time. Nasty. Yeah, which is wild that the timing kind of worked perfectly. It, you know, it sucks but there were so many highlights in that match, dude. Like, I wish I could stay on and talk, <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, looking at that, looking at it at first, I, it caught me because he just pointed to his elbow, just like so cavalier, like no, uh, my elbow. Yeah. And then when they showed the replay about a million times, by the way, it looked like mm-hmm. that dude that in that bath. I don't even know that the basketball player in college, the one that his knee completely went diagonal to the ground. Oh, yeah. It looked like that. Yeah, wild. Scary stuff, man, but. You know, um, and it's sad because I thought maybe the next thing would be the Lucha Brothers go after FTR, but now I guess that might either be put on hold or we won't see it. Who knows? Do you think that they changed the ending of that match? The for or did you think Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus were going over the whole time? I had, a, I mean, until I don't know. It was in all honesty, it was another match where I had no idea what to expect. I would have been happy with either outcome, and. You know, I was very happy with how it ended. I love, I love all four of those guys, and you know, I didn't know what to expect coming in. So I think for me, it's hard. You know, I guess I'm part of the anomaly. It definitely looked like, to me, I was predicting Jungle Boy would have his moment for sure uh, when they had the match. But then the match sort of seemed like it was going to be going in Lucha Brothers' favor, and I, you know, maybe they called it audible on the fly, noticing Ray Phoenix would be out for some time. And Lucha, the Lucha Brothers wouldn't be able to uh, to defend those titles because he's going to probably need surgery unless it was a clean break. That looked disgusting. Yeah, it was really nasty. Like, I don't think that's going to be anything that's going to just be a cast and wait three months. I have a feeling that's going to be some hardware. Absolutely. Well, I'll let you go, Nick. I know you uh, need to go, but I appreciate you hopping on. And you will definitely be back on possibly Sunday for a watch along, correct? Yes, sir. So we'll be doing the giveaway for the British Bulldog finally uh, so you guys can get those. And I also have some stickers that will be coming with us as well. So you guys will be part of it. If you'd like a sticker, just DM me. I'll send it to you. Give me your address. I'll send you. I've got plenty of stickers, guys. So if you'd like a sticker, I'll pop it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and send it your way. So I appreciate you guys supporting the show. But, Nick, thanks for joining me, man. I can't wait to talk to you on Sunday and enjoy the rest of your night, right? Hell yeah, man. Take it easy. Thank you.
All right. Well, Nick, thanks for joining. Um, I mean, he said it best. The AEW championship was perfect. And I think I couldn't have booked it any better myself. And the more I think about it, the more happy I am with the result because the match not only delivered in the ring, but the result has long lasting effects that we're going to see the benefit of with Hangman uh, being built off of this win. So uh, moving on to the next match, we had that MJF match that Nick alluded to between Sean Dean or General Sean Dean versus MJF. And Sean Dean got the win by DQ. And this match never really got off the ground because CM Punk immediately came out as the bell rung. He chased MJF out of the ring. Uh, Punk surprisingly hit the GTS on Dean for the DQ. Uh, didn't know why. The crowd was confused, thinking maybe Punk was showing some heel tactics. Um, ref ruled in Sean Dean's favor, which started MJF 0-1 for the year. Punk revisited the fact that uh, he was going to make his life a living hell until they wrestled each other. MJF obviously has aspirations to win a championship in AEW. And unless he's able to win matches, that's not happening. So it looks like Punk is going to be railroading MJF into a match. MJF has no choice but to acquiesce the request and have, you know, the match with Punk, whether it be on pay-per-view or a dynamite coming up. We had some announcements today on uh, the wrestling podcast with Tony Khan on Barstool that they're having a beach break, surprisingly, in Cleveland, Ohio. He made the case that there are beaches in Cleveland. So maybe we'll be on that show. That's one of the quarterly specials that maybe uh, they'll have that match on. But, man, there are some jam-packed cards. I mean, I was going through just what Rampage looks like, Battle of the Belts, this card, next week's Dynamite. And, you know, we don't even have a pay-per-view this month. So it's just really awesome. It's a good time to be a wrestling fan, especially a good time to be an AEW fan. But getting into that promo that, that Punk cut after, and, man, what a promo. It was probably Punk's best promo in AEW. Um, and they, he's had some good ones. So we don't see a lot of punk wrestling, but when he grabs the mic, you have to be listening. And, and I, I have the quotes in front of me to read them to you guys so you can hear exactly what he said. Um, punk made sure to tell MJF this will happen every single week unless you get in the ring with me and wrestle. Uh, MJF grabs the mic and says, and he's still doing that whole thing where he uh, is hinting that he's going to negotiate with WWE, mentions WrestleMania by name, Um this is Punk by saying um, Piper was able to main event at WrestleMania and you can't, so whatever. But Punk's line was absolutely amazing. If you think if you think the grass is green over there, go main event night four of a bone at one extravaganza and then get and then get released and then get released quicker than you last in the sack. Uh, and that was in reply to MJF saying, do you think you're Roddy Piper? Last time I checked, Roddy Piper was talented enough to main event at WrestleMania. If I don't get some shown some respect, maybe I'll main event at WrestleMania too. The fact that MJF is using WWE to get heat is amazing. Just shows, shows how gifted he is as a character. Uh, and it's just amazing. And you know Punk, I mean, historically, if you know the story about CM Punk, he truly is very bitter about ne never, WrestleMania, never main eventing at WrestleMania. He had a few big moments. I was there live for him wrestling Taker. That's probably the best moment he had. I know he wrestled for the world title against uh, Chris Jericho, but he never quite got his WrestleMania main event. Uh, they replaced him with The Rock, and you know we can talk about that forever. But he definitely the year that the year that uh, was Cena Rock number one. He should have been main eventing WrestleMania. Instead, we got uh, Rock and 
uh, Cena instead. But what a promo. I'm looking forward to this program. Uh, and I'm looking forward to see Punk and MJF in the ring and see what they can do together. And I'm curious what direction they go in as far as booking. It seems like MJF has to get the win here um, just because of the future of the company. And MJF is not to be cliche, but a pillar of their company. He needs to probably get the win here. And uh, it's an interesting start to the feud or I mean to the year as far as this program goes. Uh, but MJF in, um, gets the loss and he starts the year 0 and one. So uh, he, he has yet to be pinned except against Moxley. So where this goes and I'm curious when this match will happen. Uh, following this, we had the Chris Jericho promo. He came out, um, and they're still feuding with 2.0. Uh, I have to mention Jericho coming out. Looks like he just dyed his hair and didn't wash it out. It didn't look great. And for whatever reason, the camera kept zooming in on his scalp. So not a great look. Uh, he tried to get 2.0 over, uh, in the condescending way that you get, you know, faces, get some heels over by calling them names and at least getting them a reaction by the crowd. Uh, calling them uh, pinhead and, and squarehead or blockhead or whatever, whatever. It's not working for me. I love Daniel Garcia, the tag team of 2.0, just like two jobbers to me. Um, you know, Jericho explained that last week he didn't come out to save Eddie Kingston. He came out to, came out to take it to 2.0. Uh, 2.0 obviously interrupted, as I talked about. Uh, Jericho grabbed Floyd, uh, but a sneak attack from Daniel Garcia took out Jericho. And then Eddie Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz ran out. And then they announced that they will be wrestling on Rampage in a six-man tag match, which should be a good match. I'm sure we'll get reports following uh, the taping that's happening right now. But that match uh, should be pretty good. A lot of personalities in there. I'm looking forward to watching that. I know Rampage is hard to catch up with every week. It's a quick hour. So, you know, it's not that hard to consume. But I know Friday nights are some, somewhat busy for everybody. But, uh Nothing a DVR can't fix or just watching it on demand on the app. So I'm um, looking forward to that match, as I mentioned. Uh, moving on to, as I mentioned, the CM Punk promo. But moving on to the next match here, uh, well, the next video package, Jake Atlas is all elite. So he had that tryout match, got some publicity on Twitter. He's all elite. We last saw him in NXT January 2021. Uh, did some work in NXT, the Dusty Classic. Uh, he was teaming with MGK, and he had some time there, did some work, and got released. He did some independent work. He's been in Ring of Honor. But he will get his first in-ring competition tonight, technically, but on Rampage. He'll make his TV debut against Adam Cole, and I'm very curious to see how they use him. And it's another good addition to the roster, but the expansion of the roster is seemingly getting bigger and bigger. So a lot of guys are going to be having to find time in their, on the card and fighting their way and clawing their way to be on the card. So we will, we will definitely um, have to wait, to see how they're going to use Jake Atlas and what kind of program they're going to be using him in. So we have Adam Cole backstage with Kyle O'Reilly. And this was a quick segment. Uh, they're definitely building towards that young bucks feud. The bucks couldn't be there because I think Nick or Matt or both, and Brandon Cutler tested positive for COVID. But Adam Cole made sure to tell Kyle O'Reilly that he knows he didn't mean to kick him in the face. Uh, when they and the Young Bucks are together, they are unstoppable. So Cole trying to re reunite both of them together. I know they're on opposite sides of the fence, but uh, Cole 
as I mentioned, challenged Jake Atlas to a match, put him over by saying he's very talented. Uh, the quote he had was, I'm still the guy everybody's talking about. It's a new year, but the same Adam Cole. We are definitely on a collision course to have the elite versus the undisputed era or whatever they're called. I know Jimmy, the Prince had said, maybe they'll be called the Paragon or whatever, who knows what they're going to be called. Uh, but the three of them, it's so nice to see them together. And it's a little bit surreal to see them on AEW TV together. And I think, again, Adam Cole and Kenny Omega are specifically on a collision course. And I know Kenny's back home healing, getting right and making sure he's healthy. But that those seeds have been planted for that feud since Adam Cole debuted. And since Adam Cole aligned himself with the elite, there's been tension there. Even if you don't watch being the elite, seeing them together interacting, they're, they're vying for leadership of, of the elite. And that doesn't go well. And I think when Kenny Omega comes back, maybe they'll pull the trigger on having both factions war against each other. And maybe that's the perfect time to pull out all the stops and get the six-man title out there uh, because even having some titles involved in this feud even more. But, you know, there's a million six-man possible matches you can have. So get the titles here, especially with, you know, you could defend them on all shows, but specifically you can even defend them, you know, on Rampage, on Dynamite, even pay-per-view, bring them on, on Dark and Elevation, too. There's so many options you can do with this, and having another set of titles would be great. Moving on to the next match here, we had Wardlow squashing another jobber. Same thing we've been seeing every week. Uh, the guy's name is Antonio Zambrano. At least he had a good set of tights. You know, it looks like he has his own gear. Um, Spears hit the C4 on Zambrano before the match, which upset Wardlow. Wardlow was very unhappy. He definitely didn't want to cover him. They're hinting towards that face turn. It's a slow burn. Um, still aligned with the pinnacle and MJF. I'm still standing by the fact that I think they should wait. on pulling the trigger on this because until MJF is seen of some sort, it's not going to mean much if he beats up MJF. He'll get the initial pop. He'll be over. But with how crowded the main event is, until you're ready to have Wardlow in the main event, in the world title picture, you shouldn't pull this trigger yet. Because what's going to happen is if you pull the trigger on the face turn, again, going to get an immediate, initial, huge pop. He'll be, you know, I think he's over and I think he'll get a good reaction. But if you pull the trigger too soon, he's going to fall back to the wayside and be competing as a face on Dynamite without any rhyme or reason, no purpose. Wait until eventually, because eventually you're going to do it. You're putting the title on MJF eventually. And I think MJF will be the guy who beats Hangman, whether it's two months from now, three months from now, four months from now. That is when you should pull the trigger on Wardlow and have Wardlow be the first opponent for MJF. He doesn't have to beat him, but at least he'll, be, he'll turn his back on MJF He'll get the huge pop and he'll be immediately thrust into a main event feud. And again, you don't have to put the title on him, but at least put him in the spotlight so that people can get used to him being a face instead of having the Lance Archer treatment. You know, Lance Archer destroys, you know, jobbers and whatever week to week. But what did he really do? And I'm afraid that, you know, they may actually have something in war, though, but I'm afraid if they pull the trigger too soon without the appropriate parameters around him, we're going to be sitting here. Uh, second guessing and being like, where did Wardlow go? He's a face now, but now he's in the background. That's just how I look at it. I'm not the biggest Wardlow fan. I think they have something in him. I know Jimmy the Prince mentioned that he feels like he's 
Goldberg, Goldberg a Jace. He feels very, very similar to the build of Goldberg. And if he get authentically over, and it seems like he is, the people are really responding to the Powerbomb Act where he's just destroying young guys and jobbers. They could be onto something. But I think we have to pull the trigger at the right time and do not do, not do it too soon because we could be sitting here and Wardlow could be a face and just throw that big pile of main eventers that are doing nothing. That's one thing if he's going to be thrust right into the main event, but it has to be right. So moving on to the finals of the TBS championship. So as predicted, pat myself on the back. I had said months and months ago that this title was built for Jade Cargill. She was going to be champion because I think they look at her a lot of wrestlers, you know, like the Bunny uh, specifically, for women that aren't necessarily going to be the women's world champion and would never be the women's world champion because of the nature. Some wrestlers are just mid-carders, but the middle of the card needs something to achieve and something to wrestle for and something to compete for, and that's the purpose of this belt. You know, I know people are kind of upset because Jade Cargill is very green in the ring. She's a beginner. Uh, you know, that match with Ruby was not great for being honest. It definitely was, leaves a lot to be desired. They did. They didn't have chemistry. It felt clunky at times. Uh, it just doesn't seem like Jade has the ability to call matches yet. And Ruby is not known as a ring general, I would say. So it just was a bad mix. I think Jade has the potential to have great matches with different wrestlers, but uh, she needs some work. And I think this is the perfect time. You know, the TBS title is a mid-card title. It's not putting the women's title on her, so let's not panic. Uh, but Britt needs legitimate challengers. So Ruby Soho moves all the way back there. People were saying they want the TBS title on Thunder Rosa or Ruby Soho. But those two wrestlers could potentially challenge Britt Baker legitimately. While Jade Cargill could wrestle guys like the bunny and be able to defend the TBS title and not be stuck in the mid card. So in my opinion, they made the right decision here. I know it's unpopular because people want um, the experienced wrestler, but in the long run, we're going to get the payoff of Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker. I know it. We're going to get it. They're eventually going to wrestle. And I think Tony hinted at doing it at beach break in Cleveland, which 26th of January, which is only two or three weeks from now. Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker is what they're building towards. So, like, just putting the TBS title on Thunder, which people were upset about they wanted her to be Jaden in the first place, it's the right decision to make. It gives her a purpose and meaning and lets her build and, and work on her characters. So there's only so much work and, and practice you can have on YouTube, on Elevation, Elevation and Dark. So sometimes you have to have these matches that means something on TV because there's no replacing experience on TV. And I think Jade Cargill has the raw ability to do, have good matches. She just needs some practice and some reps. And she's never going to get better unless they let her, uh, let her in the ring and wrestle legitimate competition and not just squash jobbers. She has to have long matches and she was exposed here. Um, some of the pundits and writers and people on Twitter were saying this is one of the worst matches of all time. Uh, the fans were into it at the very end. Um, but people are saying it was probably easily the worst championship match in AEW history. And I would say I agree with that just because of the bar being so high. Uh, but she's certainly no worse than some of the women that are on the WWE roster. So 
She had a great look. I'll give that to her. I love her act with Mark Sterling. I will continue to stand by her and give her the uh, the benefit of the doubt because I think that she has uh, the ability to be a big star. She has a presence about her. Uh, so the ending, as we talked about, uh, so Sterling distracted the official but was ejected from the match for his trouble. Ruby Soho countered Jade into a cradle and hit no future for a near fall. Um, both of them sort of got lost for a minute. Cargill was perched up top and she managed to hit an avalanche. Uh, Jade, avalanche jaded to win the match and the championship. So you can even see Ruby was sort of upset with the end of the match. A mess, you know, no denying that, but I think the right booking decision was putting the title on Jade and seeing where it goes. And it's not the end of the world. If it doesn't work out, uh, but this is a good opportunity for her to prove herself and be motivated to get better. But again, I'm patting myself on the back because months and months ago, I looked at this and said, they're putting the title on Jade Cargill. Whether it's right or wrong, they they booked this and made this title for Jade Cargill, in my opinion. And I know people disagree and they were like, no, Thunder's going to win this. Ruby's going to win this. No, it, it was always going to be Jade Cargill. Maybe they expected her to be a little bit better than she is right now. Certainly. She should be a little bit better than she is right because she's had a she's had a lot of matches on live TV, but a lot of them have been squash matches. Most of her matches are two, three minutes. This one, you know, I think it went, I don't know the exact log of time, but they went upwards of like eight to 10 minutes and she hasn't had experience doing that yet. So it can only go up from here. Serena Deeb, who could potentially be a challenger for the TBS title. She's bordering on. Uh, main event for the women on mid card. She was interviewed by Jim Ross about Sheeta. Deeb said Sheeta got victories. So for now on, it's about hurting her. She said she's the best wrestler on this roster, having paid enough dues for the entire locker room. Serena demanded a match with Sheeta next week on Dynamite, and she will take 17 years of frustration out. So taped interview, canned stuff here. Uh, but again, this is like they're putting a lot of effort into the show where there's a lot of people getting FaceTime. There was a lot fit into the show. I mentioned to Nick, like when the main event opened, I was like, how are they fitting all this in the show? And they fit more. They packed more. It wasn't just matches. It was segments and sit down interviews and video packages and showing Jake Atlas is all lead and all of that. Um, so yeah, I give them credit for doing this and good, good for Serena Deeb having TV time and building up the undercard of the women, because that's important as well. And a lot of the trouble that WWE gets in, is they focus mostly on just the championship matches and everything else is sort of just a mess. You know, they made the women's tag team titles and, you know, there was a point in time where uh, Nia Jax and who was her partner? Uh, Shayna Baszler didn't defend the titles for months and months and it was just a joke. They carry the titles as props. Right now we have uh, Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley as champions and, I think they defended them last week, but you know, who cares? The titles mean nothing. And the mid card of the women in WWE, like the main event is top tier. And I, I would put them above AEW's main event women's ro roster at any day. You know, you take Becky, Sasha, Bailey when she's held Charlotte. Uh, I mean, the main event in the women is much better than just what Britt Baker brings to the table right now. But the mid card AEW's rivaling them because you have a, a deep mid card that's been developing under the main event. So I think that they're really trying to do that and build a legitimate women's division that isn't just top heavy with the main event. And it starts with putting the title on someone like Jade and letting her, you know, build her name. So 
I think that I think they made the right decision. And again, um, Serena Deeb could be another, you know, and also Sheeta. You know, I know Sheeta's a former women's champion, but she can also compete for the TBS title. All right, moving on. We have Malachi Black defeating Brian Pillman Jr. And similar to the match, every Malachi Black match I predict is going to be a two-second thing where he just kicks someone's head off. Go back months and months ago when he wrestled Goldust or Dustin Rhodes, I should say. Wow, Goldust. Um, the match went like 14 minutes. It was a good match. Griff Garrison put a good fight to him yesterday, uh, last week. And now Brian Pillman Jr. won a decent, um, a decent length in this match. And I was surprised. You know, Julia Hart came out wearing the patch over her eye. I was certainly predicting that she was turning on on uh, Pillman this week and she was going to join Malachi because of the, the effects of mist. It didn't happen. I'm not saying it's never going to happen, but um, I thought for sure it was happening this week. So this match was definitely longer than I thought, probably longer than it should be, especially in that card like this. Uh, but Pillman certainly looked good here. And some of the good spots um, and, I, you know, the end too. So getting to some of the good spots. So he set up for a spinning heel kick, but Pillman made a comeback and hit a jackhammer for a two count. Pillman more air Pillman, um, but slipped. So it looked like a botch at first, but it was purposeful. Um, and then Malachi uh, hit the spinning heel kick for the win or whatever the black mask. I don't know. I'm not sure what he calls it in AW, but the, the devastating kick to the head that no one kicks out of, um, but now Pillman has the ability to say, I could have won if I didn't slip off the rope. So they made Pillman look strong. I think they have uh, big plans for Pillman eventually. And he's one of those guys that are sort of getting lost in the shuffle right here. But you know, I, I think him and Griff Garrison have a bright future. Uh, but it was definitely surprised that Kai and Pillman went this long. And now it's time to move Malachi away from this mid-card stuff. You know, Nick and I were talking about potential challengers for Hangman and who should challenge him. Maybe Malachi is one of the next guys. I think eventually I made the prediction that MJF would be the next champion, but I think we have to get Malachi back up to that level because I think it's time he's, he should be done with the mid-card guys. You know, he's been floating around with, I'm not saying Cody's a mid-card guy, but like that program was mid-card worthy, you know, Pillman and Griff Garrison enough with that. We need Malachi Black in the main, his look, his in-ring work, he's over with the fans. It's time to put him up in the main event and he'd be the perfect new opponent for Hangman Page and a legitimate threat. To Hangman Page. Um, predicted as well. Brody King, they keep hinting. He signed with AEW. That's a known fact. The lights went out a, a few times. Once after this match and once during the tag, tag team championship match, which I'll get into. Uh, so they're hinting. I thought Brody King was coming today. But I think we're going to be having the House of Black becoming a stable. Um, and it wouldn't even shock me if Pac joined them as well because of the mist effect. I don't know. Maybe I'm looking too much into the canon of the mist, but um, I could see the House of Black becoming a force to be reckoned with in AEW. Uh, after the match, Malachi cornered Pillman and Julia Hart. The Lucha Brothers walked out after Black had attacked Pack, and so they're keeping up with that storyline. The lights went out, and they somehow teleported positions. Um, pretty stupid. Like we know that they just like switch positions really quick. Um. But I thought maybe they're gonna the lights would go out and Brody King would be in the ring and maybe Julia would have turned on on Pillman, but it just didn't happen. Uh, moving on from that, we had a post-match interview with Ruby Soho. She was asked about the tournament finals backstage, and she's inter uh, interrupted by Britt Baker um, and company. So we had you know Hater and also Rebel back there with their 
Britt just egged her on and said this was the second time Soho had failed to win the title. Ruby said that Baker can't win without her associates, and she's never been involved. And then Riho came out and got involved. They were hyping their matchup uh, coming up at Battle of the Belts. Um, so that will be a good match. I think ultimately Britt will retain because as I keep discussing on show after show, they don't have a woman that's available to take her spot right now. And they should just leave the title on her. Her next big feud's coming against Thunder, and maybe they decide to take the title off her then. But for right now, it looks like Britt Baker is going to have the title for the you know, unforeseen future. Um, so they, before we move on to the main event, they had listed the card for Rampage coming up on the 7th and also Battle of the Belts, which would be the 8th, and then Dynamite, which is the 12th. And I'll get into that in detail after I talk about the main event. But uh, there's a lot of matches coming up over the next few weeks and a lot of events. And compare that to WWE, where they go week to week with changing feuds and forgetting things happened and advertising matches that just don't happen. We're having weeks built out in advance from AEW, and it's refreshing. And I know I'm like a you know I'm I'm beating a dead horse at this point, but the consistency and long-term storytelling is what sets the two companies apart and makes you as a viewer. And a consumer of the product feel valued. And by watching these matches, it feels like they're building towards something. You may not like where they're going, or you may not like a decision, you may question it. But you never in your mind are questioning whether they meant to do something or it was a knee-jerk decision. I know they have to make decisions on the fly. You go back to the Eliminator Terminate where Brian Danielson had uh, eventually, which started this whole thing with Hangman, it was supposed to be Moxley. We knew that, but Moxley had to go deal with the things he needed to deal with and get healthy. So they had to pivot, but their ability to pivot is different from where they eventually were going. And I don't think WWE has the ability to build long-term stories. And we're seeing all the damage being done with guys that are out and the shrapnel that comes with that by not building stars to come up. If someone else is, is down with an injury or for whatever reason, and we look at a guy like Moxley in WWE's universe, when their top star goes down, it's chaos. You know, Roman Reigns was down with COVID and it was the end of the world. That's their WrestleMania meal ticket, and they have no other option. There's no one else on that roster that's built up to face Brock Lesnar. Or you look at AEW, they have the ability to just call the next guy up. There's so many guys that are just ready-made to main event. And that's the beauty of a deep roster. And people may complain about that, that they're not using guys from week to week and you're not seeing the same guys on TV. I look at it as a positive. We have the ability to just next man up and it's just as it's just as credible as the next guy. And in, in WWE, it's not that. Roman Reigns goes down. Who's 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 coming up next? Now that Brock's on Raw, who's wrestling Roman Reigns for the title now? It's a mess. You look at that SmackDown roster. Who's next? Sheamus? Drew McIntyre's out with a neck injury. There's nobody else that's coming up. AEW, next man up is there's always another guy behind the next guy. And that creates competition in the locker and knows that no, no one's spot is safe. Obviously, there's loyalty to certain wrestlers and whatever. But if a guy gets hurt, they're not waiting for him. It's next guy up. Moving on to the main event, Jurassic Express. 
defeats the Lucha Brothers to win the tag team championships. And this was an awesome spot fest type of main event. So it was a great match, a lot different than the world title match. The world title match was a technical um, masterpiece. This match was a spotty, just, I mean, I guess spot fest is the word for it. It was awesome. Don't get me wrong, but it was one of those matches that, there are a lot of things that sort of don't really make sense in the spot. I mean, people are, are just hitting all these big moves and getting right back up. Uh, you know, it's disappointing that the Lucha Brothers only got a four-month title reign, and then they really and really truly didn't defend the titles as frequently as we would have wanted to see. As I mentioned to Nick, and we talked about the Ray Phoenix injury that happened at the end of the match, it just seems so unnecessary because the match was already over pretty much, and you know, that table spot probably didn't have to happen. And I know in hindsight, they would probably take it back, but it looks like Ray Phoenix will be out for some time. And that's disappointing because he's one of the more exciting guys to watch on, on AEW television. And um, If they didn't make the decision already to have Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus win, I'm sure that someone was whisper, whispering in the ref's ear to make the decision to put the titles on them live on TV, because what are you going to do? The Lucha brothers are now, you know, they're one of them's hurt. And you can look at a guy like Pac, maybe let them do the, the Freebird rule, the demolition rule, where you have Pac help defend the titles. Uh, but we don't have to worry about that. I'm hoping that maybe they get Penta a little bit of a singles run, but I'm just hoping that Phoenix was back sooner than later because missing him is uh, devastating, you know, as for a deep roster. But he fills a void that nobody else does. There's really, I mean, there's guys that do the high-flying stuff, and he's a, t he's a unique wrestler that there's no one like him truly in the world. Like he is, he is the best at what he does at the Lucha Libre style. And when he's not on the roster, you can definitely feel it. So uh, get well soon to Ray Phoenix. Um, but this was a fantastic way to close out their title reign. Uh, this was certainly the highlight of the tag team, uh, tag team division in quite some time. Uh, so Phoenix and Jungle Boy started off with a nice back and forth Lucha exchange and Jungle Boy can hang right with Ray Phoenix. That's the beautiful part about it. Uh, Phoenix won that with some kicks. Luchasaurus and Penta tagged in. Penta did the glove thing in his face and shouted Sarah Mieto before trying for some overhand chops. Uh, moving towards the middle of the match, Phoenix hit a destroyer on Luchasaurus, which was really crazy. I mean, Luchasaurus is a big guy to be taking to destroy. He just does it on the regular. Uh, Penta hit the Made in Japan on Jungle Boy for two. Uh, they were about to nail their combination finisher, but the lights went out. So that's what I was talking about before. I thought maybe we're going to have Brody King or Malachi cost the Lucha Brothers match and I guess you can certainly say they did because they were about to go for that spike pile driver but they were unable to do so because they were uh, disrupted by the lights going out the Lucha Brothers maintained control dispatching Luchasaurus before Penta hit the fear factor pile driver on the apron which was devastating Jungle Boy looked like his neck was bent in half uh, Alex Abrahantes pulled up the table at ringside and Christian chased them off Penta tried to super kick Luchasaurus through it, but he was dispatched. Phoenix tried and Luchasaurus caught him. And here's that spot where he got, got hurt. Choke slammed him through it all the way to the floor. And his arm, I mean, the spot looked bad immediately, but Phoenix, the tough guy he is, just pointed to his arm. So I thought he might have been okay at first until they showed the replay over and over again. But he certainly wasn't okay. The arm was about bent sideways and he just landed weird in the ground. His arm, his body slid a little bit too far off the table. And like I said, unless it was a clean break, he's going to be out for some time. And hopefully he doesn't need surgery. But um, what a tough guy. I mean, he just like pointed to the 
to the medical staff and just said, like, my arm's broken pretty much. And it looked horrible. But kudos to AEW for continuing to show the spot because you know what? It happens. It's live, baby. Uh, so Jungle Boy and Penta were in the ring. Uh, Penta countered into Made in Japan. And Jungle Boy surprised cradled Penta to win the championship. Big pop. Felt like a big moment. Jungle Boy finally gets his, uh, his I guess, marquee moment in AEW. And he was the final remaining pillar of AEW, the young pillars that got his first championship. And it felt like a very big deal. And the tag division filed out. I think it's just the heel tag teams filed out and just stared at them while they celebrated. It just awesome. It just showed uh, just the depth of the tag team division. And it felt, again, like a big deal. And what a novel idea tag team wrestling meaning something and it's possible to main event a show as AEW has consistently shown that the tag team titles can be main evented on any show and feel like a big deal uh, without just you know putting two guys together that need to coexist which seems to be other wrestling companies strategy to book the tag titles the only way the tag titles will ever be in the main event would be if like you know two main eventers decided to like add some zest to their program by can they coexist by being tag champions, but they're feuding over another title. Legitimately, the tag division feels on par or better than late nineties, early two thousands WWE, because I can make the argument that the Dudley boys edging Christian and the Hardys, while they had banger matches that were memorable, you can talk about the TLC matches and just the straight up ladder matches you know, the Hardys and Edge and Christian broke the mold by winning. You know, they had that tag, the first ever tag team ladder match in 1999 at No Mercy, the Terry Invitational. They broke barriers of the tag team division. So I don't want to get people upset here about talking about and comparing them. But the depth of AEW's tag team division might be the deepest tag division of all time. Because of the fact that you can legitimately have any of these teams being the champion. They're all booked very, very strong. It just feels like a renaissance of tag team wrestling. And in my opinion, it is very refreshing because as a big fan of tag team wrestling, I've been sick of watching the tag titles become just a prop. We're just days removed from watching the Usos and the New Day have that awesome match on day one. There's nothing compared to this match. But those titles, again, I was saying it on the, on the pre-show when we're talking about it and then on the post-show, they don't feel like they mean anything. In comparison, these AEW tag titles feel very, very prestigious. And all the titles, for that matter, feel very prestigious because they're not just hot-shotting them. They're defending them. They're protecting them. I mean, we look at some of the titles, and I don't want to go on a full-blown rant here. So I'm trying to try to keep this to just an hour. It's about 55 minutes here, guys. So if you're listening live on YouTube, I appreciate that. If you're listening on Spotify, I appreciate that, that, appreciate that as well. But you look at WWE and their champions. Just for example... The way they establish number one contenders is by pinning their champions. That doesn't make any sense to me. You have a guy that proves their worth. Let's go back to Raw on Monday. I didn't review Raw. I watched it, though, begrudgingly. But you had Riddle and Orton wrestling Alpha Academy in a non-title match to establish it was a number one contenders match. Alpha Academy pinned Riddle clean protected Otis, whatever, but they're the champions. 
anytime these two are in the ring, it shouldn't establish a number one contender match. And I know AEW does it sometimes. They did it with Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson, but they have a history of the rankings meaning something. WWE just, just does it on the regular where they'll push someone up to the main event and then they'll drop them down and they'll be forgotten about and then he'll get a rematch and then they have DQ and a 50-50 booking, blah, 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 blah. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And the tag titles don't mean anything. On AEW, they certainly do. So that show, in my opinion, was a great way to kick off the TBS era. It was a really fun show to watch. And it just became very evident to me that as a wrestling fan who watched a lot of wrestling this week, I watched Wrestle Kingdom, and I know I didn't talk about those matches. And I watched Day One, I watched Raw, I saw highlights of SmackDown. A lot of wrestling was consumed. And this, I've been chomping at the bit all day to watch Dynamite, to talk about Dynamite, to see what happened. And I haven't felt like that since I was a kid. And that's been an overarching theme through all my conversations with other people, other fans that were either lapsed or otherwise about AEW Dynamite and AEW Rampage and everything they're doing in an all elite wrestling. It just feels bigger and to each their own. I know, you know, WWE fans are hardcore and they think AEW is a mud show or whatever, and they'll never be at their level. To me, I think AEW is bringing credibility back to the name of professional wrestling. It's not sports entertainment. There's aspects of it that do model some, some stuff like, you know, we watched uh, Malachi do the, the teleportation thing, but they don't insult their fans by not having logic applied to their feuds, their matches, and it feels like a legitimate competition. I mean, that match, that main event match between Hangman and Danielson, that was better than anything we've seen on WWE TV in the last – I'm confident in saying six to 10 years. And I mean that that's just my preference. So, you know, let's move on to the updated rampage card. And like I said, they are building towards all these shows and it's a little bit overwhelming if I'm being honest and it's hard to keep up with, but the thing that's really awesome is you can look forward to shows and, and have ideas about what to expect without, without being surprised. So the updated Rampage card for the 7th, which is this Friday, only two days away, which they're they're recording right now. Adam Cole versus the debuting Jake Atlas. We have Hook versus Aaron Solo. Aaron Solo is part of the factory. And then Hook, when they, they made the announcement for Hook, he got a huge pop just by showing his graphic on the screen. They have something special in Hook. And I know I, we, were, we were talking about Hook and he was like sort of a meme where people were like, you know, Hook is the, all, all four pillars and Hook is the future. Hook's really over. They're doing a really good job at Hook, and they're making him feel very special. So they got something with him. And his presentation's great. The fact that he has you know, the lineage of being Taz's son, that only helps him. But they, don't, they definitely have something in Hook. And main eventing on Rampage, we have a tag team match building up to the Battle of the Belts match, which will be the next night. We have Dr. Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter versus Riho and Ruby Soho. That got... Uh, I guess hyped up by the post-match interview that we saw Ruby Soho get beat down and the Riho made the save. So that should be a decent card. Um, a lot to, a lot to fit in, in, in an hour. Uh, and I'm, I'm certain they're going to give Britt Baker and Jamie Hader and Riho and Ruby Soho at least a half hour. Or so and maybe they'll, they'll let Jake Atlas go out there and have a good match as well. So, um, and I'm sure there'll be other matches that are thrown in there, segments and video packages of what happened on dynamite, but that should be a decent card. And it's a nice bite-sized piece of wrestling where 
it doesn't feel overwhelming. It's not three hours. It's, it's just an hour. And sometimes I'm like, Oh, it's over already. On Saturday, we have the battle of the belts card, which, you know, right now there's only two matches on there. And I certainly think we're going to get 30 minutes dedicated to each match. And rightfully so. This is AEW's answer for Clash of Champions. They couldn't get the rights to Clash of Champions, which is historically a uh, WCW Jim Crockett promotion uh, event. So he went with the next best thing, a Battle of the Belts. Um, it's a little bit weird, if I'm being honest, to call a Battle of the Belts where only two are on the line. They might have, they probably should have saved it for a Dynamite special, but uh, whatever. I think we're gonna get two good matches, and it's. The TNT Championship, the rematch between Cody Rhodes and Sammy Guevara. And then we have the AEW Women's Championship, Dr. Britt Baker versus Riho. I certainly believe that both of these, uh, both of the champs will retain. I don't see Cody losing to Sammy. Stranger things have happened. And Cody's character, you can't predict anything that's going on with this guy. So I guess anything's possible, but put big money down that Britt Baker will win this match. And not to be forgotten, we have AEW Dynamite from the following next week on the 12th. We have CM Punk versus Wardlow, Sheeta versus Serena Deeb, and Powerhouse Hobbs versus Dante Martin. So, you know, those matches right now are on Dynamite, and I'm sure more will be added to that. But it just shows that they're building towards something. They're continuing to have, have long-term plans in mind, and I know I keep repeating myself there, uh, but it's really refreshing. And the CM Punk Wardlow match should be very interesting because we have Wardlow who was on the, the fringe of becoming a face. I wonder if the match is just going to be really competitive and then maybe, you know, obviously Punk has to get the win here, but also I, I really don't know. Maybe MJF cost him the match. Wardlow hasn't lost in quite some time, if ever. I can't remember the last time Wardlow lost a singles match, uh, but it should be interesting how they book this because I certainly can't see Wardlow losing or Punk, but maybe MJF does what Punk did and cost him the match and, and Wardlow gets mad about it. Who knows? Uh, and then Powerhouse Hobbs or Stante Martin should be interesting as well. I love Powerhouse Hobbs. I love Team Taz. Uh, and they're even stronger now that Hook is involved and in actually wrestling. So a lot of good stuff on Dynamite. Uh, I'm continuing to be impressed with what they're doing. I believe that they probably will have much better numbers on TBS and especially due to the fact that they're finally not uh, pre uh, they're finally going on in prime time in, on the West coast because people are forgetting, like they're all complaining about the numbers saying, how did Danielson and hangman the first hour, you know, do under a million viewers? Well, because half the country on a different time zone, the show starts at 10. You know, now that's starting at eight in prime time. So they're watching live on the East coast and it, it, it is two hours delayed on the West coast. So they'll have it in prime time. And that will certainly help the numbers. I'm curious how the transition to TBS does. They hyped up this card for a long time and they've been doing a really good job of talking about moving to TBS. So I certainly don't think people didn't know they were moving and they did a really good job on their social advertising for it. Uh, so the numbers should be interesting. I'm not one of those guys that is obsessed with the numbers and the ratings and stuff, but uh, it is a trajectory to see how the company is is doing. And I think we will always have the diehard fans that are sitting here and we're going to watch week to week the way they we sort of have a surge and another attitude error-esque or a wave of popularity with wrestling is through the casual fans. 
And I think eventually this AEW product, once it gets into, I guess, casual pop culture where people are catching on to it, I think we could have a surge in fan fandom again. I truly believe that because what I'm watching here is it, it's similar to the attitude era, but the in-ring work is 10 times better. And I know people will claim recency bias or whatever, but to me, this is the best wrestling we're seeing in a very, very long time. You can make the claim ever just what AEW is going out there and doing. And I know people are going to think I'm crazy, but I certainly believe it. And I am excited to watch week to week. I will be back on here, like I mentioned, with Nick. And as I mentioned, guys, I know I mentioned when Nick was on here, so maybe the screen was too small. I have these stickers. If you'd like one of these, they're going to be coming in the giveaways. But if you'd also like one, I will certainly send you one if you DM me. We'll maybe do a sticker exchange. I know that's a thing. We'll exchange stickers. So you just give me your address. I'll send it over to you. And you guys send me one. Uh, we'll exchange stickers. But the giveaway... There's been more people that entered, and I am up to about 315 followers, which is awesome. So we have this Series 1 British Bulldog. This is finally the giveaway. Please follow the Wrestling Couch on Instagram. Jimmy the Prince is a good guy. Check out his newest show. He just came out with an episode every Monday. He comes out with an episode, and he'll probably come out with an episode Thursday. So we'll, he will probably be talking about the same stuff I talked about. Curious to see what he thought about the card. Him and I were messaging during... The show is, you know, think about asking him to come on here, but I know he has his own podcast to do, so I want him to give up whatever his show is going to be for mine. So if you follow the Wrestling Couch and comment on the giveaway post that I have on, again, I will share it on my story again. Please, 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 please just write done. I will enter you, and we'll do the drawing live on Sunday where I will – send this out to you guys and you guys will get the giveaway and we'll come up with another giveaway. And I was thinking about another AEW figure. I'll post all those details on my story. So you guys will have all that information you need. I appreciate everyone that takes the time to watch and listen to this. The end of the year show with Jimmy, the Prince was the highest viewed video that I've ever done. So I do appreciate everyone that came over here from uh, his subscribers and his page. And, you know, I got some good feedback about that show and a, it has driven a lot of good conversation about people disagreeing about match of the year and wrestler of the year and all positive stuff. I love the conversation, whether people agree or disagree. I just love the conversation in the wrestling community. And that's what this is all about. Just having a conversation and sharing the thing that we all love, which is professional wrestling and AEW continues to make it fun again. So I appreciate you guys watching again. I'll be back here Sunday for the watch along. We'll be doing WWF primetime 1990 from January 1st, 1990, build up to the Royal Rumble. And I'm sure Nick has some matches he wants to watch. We'll be on here having a good time. Uh, make sure you guys like this video, subscribe. Um, also make sure to rate us on Spotify five stars. So please do that. Um, and I'm looking forward to Sunday. We'll be back next Wednesday following Dynamite to discuss everything that happened there. And we'll go over Battle of the Belts that happened on Saturday. I'm sure we'll discuss a little bit about, a little bit about that on Sunday. But thank you guys so much for watching. I really appreciate it. I've been Ace Field Retro. Have a good one.